Welcome to episode 18 of Around the League. Boy, do we have a good one this Saturday morning. We've got a ton to discuss in the NBA, including the Lakers' 17th championship, as well as some off-season shakeups. We even have a special guest who I'll introduce later on in the show. Um, but first, let's check in with our co-host, Tuan. What up? What up, what up, man? You know, I'm excited that Cousin Dej is here to, uh, <laughs> to talk ball with us, but... Um, not too much, man. I've just been chilling, you know, a uh, busy week at work and my sister's home for, for the month. So, uh, we've been spending a lot of time, but yeah, you know, just hanging out, nothing planned this weekend. Just gonna vibe out. And your sister's a chef. Yeah. Briefly touch, touching on this. Cause yeah, you've been so, eating like a king. Yeah. So my sister is a chef out in, uh, Vancouver and she came home right in time for my mom's birthday. So we, uh, she cooked up, not me, not we. She cooked up some some Wagyu beef, some scallops, some tuna, some crab cakes for us for a big, big feast that we had uh, two days ago. So that was delicious. Nice. Thanks for the invite. Like I said, <laughs> we have a very special... <laughs> good setup. Good setup. Like I said, we have a very special guest today, one that you guys have heard before. The man, the myth, the legend, Lackner Woods' finest, <laughs> a.k.a. Dayan Stajic. How you doing, Dayan? Hey, guys. Uh... I'm doing great. Thanks again for having me. Uh, it's nice to be back here in the studio. Um, I have fond memories of getting an eye exam here one time. Retail storefront is the triple threat. Buy glasses, get an eye exam, record a podcast. Yeah. You can do <laughs> Never it have to leave. Let's <laughs> add, add a cot. We could live here. I live here. <laughs> <laughs> what brings you to Charlotte? Hey, I, I live here. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, man, let's uh, let's jump into it. Let's do a little season recap. Tuan, we started this podcast during the pandemic to give us something to do. There was no indication of a restart date. We did a hypothetical podcast, uh, or sorry, hypothetical playoff prediction series that we were both not even remotely close on. And um, but the season resumed in this bubble with zero positive cases and produced some of the most exciting basketball that I think I can remember watching. Um, now that the season's done, what do you grade everything you just experienced, both of you? You want? I wanted to start off by saying that my predictions were a lot better than yours. Uh, <laughs> Naturally, just, yeah, obviously. Just Let's I, I know more ball than go, you. Go on the IG. <laughs> <laughs> we both had uh, a Clippers Milwaukee Finals. <laughs> yeah, that that would have happened if you know the bubble didn't happen. But uh, I, I think the season went as well as the NBA could have expected, and the basketball was at a premium. Uh, especially with zero distractions. Um, and I do think the best team did, did eventually win. Um, I, I will give the Lakers the, the credit that they deserve because they played well and they got better throughout the entire uh, playoffs. And they were the one team that I did not think was playing well throughout the regular season during the bubble. But then when the playoffs hit, when they you know, lost the first game in Portland, and everyone was like, okay, like, oh man, they might lose this. But in reality, that was never really um, a realistic um, thing for, for the Blazers or anyone else. And they got a little bit lucky too, you know, but that's, you know, that's what champions do. They win when they need to win. And they still had a really, really tough matchup in the finals. And they were able to come out on top. And I think that's what the NBA probably wanted with, the, with everything with Kobe and how the season ended, I think the best player on the best team with the best team won. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dan, how would you grade just everything from, you know, the regular season, the the pause, the bubble? What do you grade this whole this whole thing? Yeah, so I guess the way I think about the the season as a whole, it kind of bifurcated because of the the pandemic and we kinda of had the regular season, which as we noticed, all of the regular season awards are judged off of that, right? So mm -hmm. the regular season I thought was fantastic and it was leading up to something um, that was going to be um, equally fantastic in terms of the playoffs had they gone on the way that we would normally expect. Um, that regular season, I, like, I'm a huge basketball fan. I think it, there were a lot of great storylines going to that. That was an A for me. Um, going into the second half, then, the bubble is... I feel was a completely different season in and of itself, a totally different um, atmosphere. Um, and like Tuan said, the team that came best prepared for that bubble environment, the one that excelled, like, I think the best team won. The Lakers did win because they were the best team. Like everyone, it seemed like every uh, every round they were up against the team that was going to beat them. But 
sure enough, like, oh, they're playing the not a regular eight seed with the Portland yeah. Trailblazers, 4-1. Uh, we're playing the Houston Rockets. Oh, this is a matchup nightmare. They're yeah. going to give them a, a, a run, 4-1. They uh, played the Cinderella in the Western Conference Finals that it just came back from two 3-1 deficits in the Denver Nuggets. They beat them 4-1. They probably should have beat a Miami 4-1 as well if it wasn't for Jimmy Butler stepping up. So they deserve to win. The bubble itself, um, I loved in terms of a pure, I think we talked about this last time, um, in terms of a pure basketball environment, I would grade the bubble um, an A+, given the circumstances. Um, but that being said, I felt like the NBA Finals themselves were a letdown um, in terms of uh, mm. viewership, uh, in terms of them marketing it. And I don't know if you guys heard, but Mark Cuban kind of alluded to this. Earlier this week, he, he said that the NBA didn't do a good enough job um, marketing the NBA Finals. And if you look at a couple stats, for example, game one of the NBA Finals was the least viewed NBA Finals game of all time in terms of total viewership. If you look at the clinching game, game six last Sunday, 70% 70, uh, 70 more viewers watched 60 minutes in, in, the UA, in the U.S. compared to game six, the title clinching game for the Lakers um, of the NBA Finals. So that being said, like, and, and it might be seasonal, it might be due to the, the time of the year. Yeah, I have a thought on that. But yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same in terms of the NBA Finals, which was the disappointing part for me as a fan. Um, yeah, I think the strange part is just the way people consume television now. And I think that with when you look at the landscape of America as a whole right now, a lot of bars, a lot of establishments, a lot of places where people would normally watch the game aren't available or viable. And I think that that probably contributes to some of the ratings. Um, I don't think a lot of people have cable as much as they used to. So, you know, they rely on streaming. So I think that, um, you know, given normal conditions, given, you know, restaurants, bars, um, establishments uh, open for people to come and watch games. I feel like that'd be different. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't recall. I don't really recall seeing much promotion from the NBA side about the NBA Finals like you usually like you would usually see. Yeah, they exactly. kind of they veered away from their their branding too. Like they veered away from their logo. They veer, veered away from just nostalgic finals uh, vibes that you usually get this time of the year. Yeah, those are great points because no one's going to like a a bar to watch sixty minutes. Right, you're staying at home and you're watching 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but they're also battling for viewership with uh, baseball playoffs, and Game Six was on Tuesday, and that's when they had the Tennessee and well, who were they playing on? No, it was Sunday. The the Game Six. Yeah. There was no, it was it was it was either Monday or Tuesday when was it not? I thought it was Sunday, which which leads okay, to which it, leads it, it it your argument. Okay, which leads to argument too. But football. yeah, still football exactly. But yeah, they were they were playing against a primetime uh, football matchup too. So the, we never see the season go this far, obviously, or go this late into the uh, to the fall. So I think that adds a lot a little to the viewership and yeah. winds down this year. I, too. I should also caveat my uh, statement with the fact that. Um, I'm biased in what I say there because I think in total there were six games in the NBA Finals. Um, in total, I watched a combination of maybe three games because there were there were a couple of games where I, like I'll watch the first quarter and then nah, nothing really much more to see, and you kind of let it off. Yeah. But that's why you know I, I think we'll probably touch on this, but I would ho I would hope that they, you know, try to get fans back in the arenas, try to bring back the the atmosphere uh, for a new regular season coming into the next year. Yeah, I mean, the NBA is always very intentional about when they start and when they finish so that they don't overlap with some of America's other popular sports. Unfortunately, given the circumstances, they weren't able to. Um, but yeah, we kind of jumped ahead. We talked about the Lakers uh, winning their championship. And I personally hate it for reasons that I'll discuss later. But, you know, Tuan, we both had Milwaukee and Clippers in the finals. And maybe given um, normal conditions, that would have been the case. But like we said... Um, this was a different playoff experience for players, and it took a lot of team chemistry and team cohesion to pull this one out. You know, the longer you were in that bubble, the more isolated you were, the more you were going through things personally, the more you were going through things emotionally. And I strongly believe that um, the, the team with the most chemistry was going to be the team that prevailed. Uh, the team with the leaders that could galvanize the team uh, when things were getting mundane or monotonous would uh, end up prevailing in this in this. Uh, in this 
in these playoffs. So obviously that was the case for the Lakers. Neither of you are surprised though. I think halfway through the playoffs, I, I figured they were probably the strongest bet to win it, especially with the Clippers struggling early on against Dallas, especially mm-hmm. without Chris Stapps for the majority of that series. And they kind of let a, what, a 20-year-old dominate them, basically. Yeah. And that series probably would have been a little closer if they, if they were healthy. And then the East was just like a bloodbath. Every team was the Raptors, Celtics. Uh, Miami played well against Milwaukee, and then, you know, it was another tight series against Boston. So, um, yeah, I think the Lakers, again, were, were the best team, and they're the, they're the ones who prevailed. And, Bo- like, Boston, I think they should have they should I think they should have been the Heat, if, just with the roster composition and how... Um, how they match up better against the Lakers, they, they, I think they had a better chance. They would have been the better representation from the East. But again, um, the Heat did a great job. And Jimmy Butler is going to, you know, he's elevated his game to next level. And I think next year he's going to come up a lot stronger too. Yeah, what, it, what surprises me so much about watching the Lakers play in the finals was uh, how impactful players C, D, E, and F were. Um, we're talking about guys like Rondo, Dwight Howard, Caldwell Pope, um, and then Kuzma, Morris, or Caruso, given given the night. And what surprises me is that I thought I knew what LeBron and AD could bring to the table, and I knew that they were going to pose a matchup nightmare for the Heat, especially after Bam Adebayo went down. But I had no faith in the supporting cast, and I thought that their supporting cast cast was going to shoot them in the foot. Um, but that wasn't the case. Someone stepped up every single game, and Rondo had a second coming. Yeah. Just shocking. Yeah. Kudos to Rondo. Wins an NBA championship with two of the most storied franchises in the NBA, the Celtics in 08, and then now with the Lakers. Um, but yeah, fitting for the Lakers organization, 17-time NBA champions. You know, I, I feel, I, I don't know, nostalgic in a way when I say I feel happy for Jeannie Buss, for example. I feel happy for uh, Rob Plinka. It must be very bittersweet for him, you know. Background story on Rob Plinka for those that aren't aware, he's the current GM of the Los Angeles Lakers, but he grew up um, as a basketball player in and of himself. He played on the Fab Five Michigan team as a role player, um, didn't have much of a future, became uh, an agent, um, and then he was the longtime agent for someone by the name of Kobe Bryant, developed a very uh, long-standing personal relationship with him, which you know one could argue helped him get this GM job. Yeah, and, and Dan, I want to interject real quick because you grew up a lifelong Laker fan, um, a lifelong Kobe Bryant fan, and as, as, much, I, as much as I admire Kobe Bryant, um, I can't say the same. I can't say that growing up he was my number one, and, but to you he was. So I just want to know how this storybook ending with Kobe Bryant passing away in January hits you personally. Yeah, I mean, like nothing will take away from that uh, pain that, you feel um, or that I felt back in, at, the end, at the end of January because, and, and I, I tried looking it up because it's so strange that you could feel such a connection to someone that you've never met. But I think even, you know, the three of us in the room here and every average um, NBA fan out there felt some kind of connection to Kobe Bryant, um, even though they had never met him or most people hadn't met him. Um, so yeah, looking back at my young adulthood, or no, no, like youth, um, I find it, I, I would draw the parallel to all these bandwagon uh, Golden State Warriors fans, because at that age, when you're like um, young and malleable, um, you're attracted to the team that is being very successful. And in my youth, the early 2000s, the Los Angeles Lakers were killing everyone. Like that three-peat, that just made me fall in love with them, but it was that whole era that they were playing in, um, the style that they had, Shaq and Kobe, I could list off all those other like players that they had, like um, uh, Rick Fox, uh, um, Robert, Derek Ory, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, um, uh, Stanislas, um, <laughs> or whatever, I can't remember their random names, but yeah, no, but that, that era that I grew up in, um, it, it was so strange because they were the best team and they were killing everyone. I even had my own family kind of disconnect from me from a basketball sense because if you remember in those in those days they were uh, going up against the Sacramento Kings which featured Chris Webber, Vlade Divac, Pejo Stojakovic, Mike Bibby, 
Um, and you know, the, the default Serbian family is going to cheer for the predominantly Serbian uh, uh, players and teams. Uh, and then the, like when they were going up against those guys, I remember my uncle not being a fan of me because I was cheering for the opponent. But it's because I, like, I liked Kobe that much. So, yeah, I think it's a fitting end uh, to this storyline um, this year. Well-deserved for them. Um, they, they earned it, right? Like, that's the one thing that I would say with this uh, bubble championship. There's no asterisk. They're, every team signed up. Every team played. The format was the same. It was best four out of seven. Um, only argument you can make is about the lack of fans and the atmosphere, but I think it's well-deserved, and congratulations to the Lakers. Yeah, Tuan, before, before we get your take, I, I don't think the lack of fans or arena environment was going to affect the Clippers in this situation anyways because, you know, playing in the Staples, Staples Center, they're the ugly sister anyways. Like, you know, people <laughs> go to Lakers games, and people go to Clippers games as Lakers fans. So every game, it would have been it would have been six it would have been six or seven home games exactly. for for the Lakers. Tuan. Yeah, I I never grew up as a Kobe fan, but I think um, in his later years, especially when um, after his after his, his Achilles injury, and then after he retired, and then everything that he did after retirement. Um, I grew to appreciate like appreciate who he was a lot more. I don't know from like a basketball sense. I I was always again just a Raptors fan. So um, in the early two thousands, um, we had that chance to to make it to the finals, but we lost to the Seventy Sixers, and they were the team that I would watch when the Raptors would lose in the first or second round of the NBA, and they were my they were my favorite team out west. But I was always a bigger fan of Shaq than I was of Kobe. I just admired how dominant Shaq was, just the type of player he was, and especially in the 90s when it's dominantly all big men, like you're playing against Tim Duncan. Um, you have those guys battling so hard out west. And I never appreciated Kobe for who he was and what he was because I always thought he was a second string guy. I always thought mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was uh, a poor man version of uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Right, so I always thought of him as like a second star, second star to a championship team. But then, I, as you know, as in the late 2000s, when he actually won two more championships on his own, and then he, in, in his final game, scoring 60 points. And I think just as his continue, as his career continued to go on, and as he just got more mature and played less selfishly, I, you know, that's when I realized what a like great mind he was in terms of basketball and my appreciation for him is even greater now because you know this could be a quick shout out to our boy taylor who uh, debuted a kobe bryant movie yesterday through his deep game channel and it was like an hour plus video of um basic clips and collages of kobe's career and how he took the mental side of things and that's where he got the biggest advantage over other superstars throughout his career. And that's how he was able to win five championships, win, win awards after his playing career. And, you know, he's building on another successful career outside of basketball uh, until the tragedy. But um, that was a great documentary. So please go and watch that, that DVD yesterday on Deep Game. And, uh, yeah, shout out to Taylor for that. Yeah, you know... When Kobe passed away, I, I realized how much I took him for granted because all of my flashbulb moments as a kid, when I think back to like exciting NBA games or actually Lakers games, mm-hmm. Derek Fisher hitting that final shot, Robert Horry yeah. hitting game winners with the Lakers. I remember I was sitting on my bed when Kobe tossed uh, Shaq the alley-oop against the Blazers, and I was yeah. a huge Blazers fan because Rasheed Wallace was my favorite player growing up. Um, <laughs> you would. <laughs> and, and just things like that. You know, Kobe Bryant was very instrumental in me falling in love with the game of basketball, as was Vince Carter. That's why when those guys used to square up, they were that was my favorite matchup in the mm-hmm. NBA for like three or four years was Vince versus Kobe. Yeah. Um, I still remember when Vince blew by Kobe baseline at the All-Star game and did the 360. And like all these things just sort of came up um, as I reflected about why I was feeling so down when I found out about the news, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just crazy to think how instrumental someone can be um, in your upbringing as a basketball fan. Exactly. Kobe Bryant might have been more in- influential than Vince Carter, as much as I liked Vince Carter. One of the biggest regrets of my youth was going to sleep at halftime of that 81-point game. Oof. 
Yeah, after that day or when I woke up, I just made a promise to myself I will always watch those late night West Coast games. Like, yeah, whatever whatever quiz I had the next morning didn't matter. I remember I was watching it in my room, and Brendan Lynch, good friend of mine, was on the phone with me the whole time, just teasing me. See what's happening right now to your boy Jalen Rose. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched eighty one points. I watched oh, yeah. Sam Mitchell not double team this guy. For 81 straight points. Can you fold Sam Mitchell though? Like, look at his playoff predictions. Look at his office setup. He's got bobbleheads behind him. Like. Yeah, this guy, this guy left Morris Peterson on the island to get roasted by Kobe. Uh, but what a funny, a funny story about that game. So yeah, that's like a late night game. So that's why you went to bed early. But um, the Raptors used to have their color commentator Chuck Swirsky, and he had you know his tagline where. When the game was close to being uh, over, he would be tell. he would say, Oh, bring out the salami and cheese, baby. Yeah. This ball <laughs> game's this ball game's over. So he actually did that during like the halfway through the third third, third, quarter, third quarter. Yeah, third quarter of that game. Because the Raptors were up by twenty. It was just Kobe that was going off, but the Lakers were playing terribly. And he said that. And he never he doesn't usually say it till like there's like two, three minutes left in the fourth when the game's up like yeah. when the Raptors are up by like twenty. Right, so he he said that during that game. So if you if you watch the Raptors broadcast of that game, that actually happens. And then he ne- and then he the next day he's like, okay, never again, never will I yeah. uh, be that pre- premature with my predictions and my statements like that. So that's a funny yeah. moment I remember too. Shout out to Chuck Sworsky who left the Toronto Raptors to become a radio yeah. commentator for the Chicago Bulls, <laughs> his hometown Chicago Bulls. So he's been able to watch a nice little rebuild, never gain traction while the. Uh, Raptors won an NBA That's what I was going to say. Shout out to Chuck Swirsky. He signed my basketball during the, the, the Toronto Raptors training camp at the University of Waterloo. Guy prints his name with a smiley face at the end of it. That's I'll, his autograph. I'll do you one better. He signed a, a cardboard cutout of Adam Morrison's face at that same training camp. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I like... I, sh- I, I like the trade for Chuck Swirsky for Jack Armstrong. I'll take Jack Armstrong. Or was it, a, was it a Matt he's, Devlin? No, he's a Matt Devlin. He's a Matt yeah, Devlin. He's a, he's a, he's play a Matt play Devlin. guy, not an analyst. Um. All right, let's not talk about Chuck Swirsky again for the, <laughs> for the remainder of this podcast and other podcasts going forward. Um, but yeah, you know, I wanted to just give my take about the Lakers and this win. Um, here's why I don't like the win. Here's why I don't like this championship. Um I just don't like the precedent it sets in the NBA. It's like cleaning your room by just shoving your shit under your bed. Because the Lakers were a train wreck circus of an organization for the last eight years. And the way that I see it is that they won the LeBron lottery. The same way the Heat won the LeBron lottery in 2010. Where LeBron chooses your destination, says he wants to come to your organization, you have a one-way ticket to the finals. And I feel like this is exactly what happened Uh, with the Lakers, although it took two years for LeBron. I feel like Miami basically, the Miami Heat this year basically played the Miami Heat of 2012, which was a LeBron-led team when, like Bill Simmons says it best, he he picked his room and chose all the furniture. Um, This is a LeBron-designed team, a clutch-designed team, and it just, I think it sets a bad precedence in the NBA because the Miami Heat were the opposite of what the Lakers are in, in the sense that they started from the ground up. And I'm just scared that going forward, this is going to create situations where players are jumping with other players on short-term contracts um, in a hunt to win a championship. I, I agree with everything that you've just said, but I would counter with that precedent was already set. Mm-hmm. By LeBron, LeBron James. Yeah. yeah. So back then, so he set that precedent. He made it okay for Kevin Durant to go to Golden State. He made it okay for all these other guys to just like why the why are the, why is the biggest news these days like ooh where's Giannis gonna go where's Gian-? like what are you talking about he's got a year left on his contract like why are we looking so far into the future that the the biggest the talking heads on TV are just being like oh I think I think Miami's the great option oh you know he's got those Nigerian uh, connections with uh, Masai in Toronto oh wait I think Golden State has the biggest package to give him the best package pause to give to him. Um, like I, I hate that banter aspect, and that's what he created way back when. But if you look at if you look at the Lakers, they were they were the laughing stock as a franchise for literally eight years. 
Um, they were not made. They had no no signs of making the playoffs. They were going through a rebuild that they didn't want to go through. They were just looking for the next star. And fortunately, they got it. And they telegraphed this Anthony Davis thing for two years. Even last year, <laughs> there's that joke that LeBron LeBron literally announced that he wanted to trade all his teammates for Anthony Davis, and and <laughs> New Orleans New Orleans didn't budge, and he was stuck with these guys that knew that he wanted them gone. Yeah, but I. And it, and it came to fruition, and look, they won a championship. Yeah, that's all that But it just says a lot about what an organization is capable of doing. You can start from the ground up, you can buy into the rebuild, or you can just, or you can just find the superstars, or be able to find the superstars like some of these big markets are able to do. Yeah, and, and I think what Juan just alluded to, winning solves everything. And that's how you see, and this might be a good segue into the next part of the conversation, but you see where winning makes it okay in terms of the Lakers, but... Losing brings out all of the skeletons out of the closet in terms of the Clippers, right? Like that 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 ship is kind of like falling apart right now, or uh, so it seems, because they didn't win. Yeah, if you're if you're the Twan, do you have anything to say about the Lakers winning or that that sort of? Um... Yeah, it, it's it's a bit funny because all these big franchises, big marquee teams like Chicago Bulls, Boston Celtics, New York Knicks. LA Lakers had a stretch where they couldn't get a free agent, couldn't get a guy for 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 a long period of time, and that's why all those teams sucked for those last five, four, five, six years. And the biggest star in the NBA just decides, hey, I want to go to LA. I want to get all my marketing. I want to you know be in front of all the billboards. And he changes the whole conception of how how things work. And now you maybe Giannis might want to go to a big market team and you know, see where, where things lead for him, you know, so um, it, it is kind of, it's, it was weird for a bit, but now I think things are going to go back to normal and these big franchise teams will start garnering more attention from free agents because they see what LeBron's doing with uh, the Lakers. I think this actually bodes well for the Knicks, as funny as this sounds, because, because of where they are geographically, they have the ability to become successful overnight. All it takes is mm-hmm. a superstar or two to decide that they want to go there. Which is scary for small market teams. Yeah, I guess that was what that was their complete thinking last off season yeah. when they thought they were going to get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the number one pick to trap Zion, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the audacity of these, of these <laughs> large market teams. <laughs> but yeah, we touched on the Clippers, and you know, um, we talked last podcast one. We talked about Doc Rivers um, being fired or stepping down, yeah. and being picked up by the Philadelphia 76ers. And the biggest, the biggest uh, void that the Clippers seem to have right now is their locker room, that glue in the locker room. And obviously, they feel like their coach can solve that. They got, or sorry, Doc Rivers stepped down, but um, you know Tyron Lue is has now been appointed the head coach. And they obviously feel like Tyrone Lue, based on his personal experiences, has the has the ability to uh, revitalize that team. What are your guys' thoughts on the hire? Um, Tyron Lue, don't get me wrong, um, he's got a good um, resume in terms of being a longtime a lead assistant coach under Doc Rivers. He was out in Boston for the longest time, got an opportunity to be a lead assistant with the Cavaliers, and then stepped in uh, once they fired their head coach to finish that season off, which actually ended in a championship. So he's an NBA champion um, head coach. Um, that being said, I don't know if he carries the same weight as another head coach might, especially in terms of the locker room presence, because um, you know if, if you kind of compare him to the Steve Nash argument, he was a career journeyman role player backup point guard. Does he have the same weight in terms of um, respect and commanding a locker room that someone that was more of an established player would, in a locker room filled with what it seems like are a bunch of prima donnas, uh, people that want special treatment, etc. The part of the hire that I'm more excited about actually is Chauncey Billups as the new lead assistant coach. I think Chauncey Billups has a great pedigree from his time as a player. Uh, He's an established analyst. Um, People really respect his opinions. He's been uh, doing a phenomenal job uh, with ESPN before and then this last season he was a color commentator with the Clippers themselves. So I really like 
that he's getting an opportunity to shine, and I think he's going to do a great job and build his own resume to eventually become a, uh, a head coach in the league. But uh, I'm more excited about the Chauncey Billups hire I, than Lou. I didn't even know that Chauncey was going to be their lead yeah. assistant. That's pretty crazy because when he retired, he got the job offer to be the GM of the Cavs uh, before I, before Colby Altman did. And, um, yeah, I I'm not even sure how good of a coach Ty Lou really is. I know, again, he did win the championship when – uh, he took over from David Blatt, but that was another LeBron-led team. So I think it's his time to really prove that it wasn't just you know him just picking back off of LeBron's success and taking that team to the finals into the championship. So he has a great great opportunity to add to his resume. He has two superstars that I'm sure he has a great relationship. So that's why he's the, their new head coach. And I think if they can get just one solid point guard, someone can who can take the lead and be the leader for that team and kind of be his voice on the court, like a Rondo. Like imagine Rondo being with th this this type of Rondo on this Clippers team where he can be that leader and he can be that guy who playmakes for PG, for Kawhi, who aren't really playmakers. And I think that's gonna benefit him if they're able to acquire that one guy and be be that be his voice when uh, when uh, they're on the court. Yeah it's funny because uh, Ty Lue, was, when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, used to get roasted for being the sideline puppet, the mm -hmm. sideline pylon. Mm -hmm. um, the team was coached by LeBron James. And we alluded to how we thought, last podcast, how we thought Doc Rivers wasn't the best chemistry guy. And there was facts to prove that. You know, the, the way that Blake Griffin and CP3 were never able to figure it out all those years in, Cle in, in LA. And we thought that they had at least one championship in them. Yeah. Um, Ty Lue, from what I can remember back in the Cleveland days, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe we'll eat our words, but I don't recall him being much of a chemistry coach. And I don't recall him ever... Um, I, re I actually remember the Cleveland Cavaliers going through a lot of chemistry issues during those tenures. Those were, they were kind of like a soap opera team. LeBron was tweeting subliminals, openly saying things to the media. And Ty Lue really didn't do much to navigate that. And sitting beside Doc Rivers with the Clippers, who we said we don't think is the greatest coach in terms of team chemistry and team building, I don't see what he's going to bring to the table in that regard. I think his biggest skill is the fact that he can let superstars be superstars and actually take a back seat. Mm -hmm. Because I think the Jeff Van Gundys, the Doc Rivers, this, the, um, the Mike D'Antonis, they're old school and they want to coach. And I think that depending on your team composition and the, your superstars, that doesn't bode well for a lot of teams. A lot of superstars don't want to be coached. It's well documented that Kawhi Leonard likes to choose when he sits. He likes to pick his sets. He likes to choose when he plays. Yeah. You know, it's documented that he actually arrives to the, he's been arriving to a lot of the team uh, planes late. Mm -hmm. Things like that, that preferential treatment that I think Ty Lu is a, a very good coach in terms of just shutting up and stepping back. The one thing that also comes from, and this is pure speculation on my point, um, to me it, it feels a bit like the Clippers' hand was forced. So, you know, the whole Doc Rivers situation ends, and whether he gets fired or he leaves, it doesn't matter. But then they're left without a coach. And I, I don't know, to me it seems like they thought they could, you know, lure whatever kind of, you know, the top head coaching candidate, and they thought Lou was one of them. But as soon as all that happened, like I remember seeing reports like Tyron Lue is now interviewing for the Houston Rockets. He's now interviewing with the New Orleans Pelicans. So they're probably like scrambling a bit like, yo, we thought we had, we could take our time. We could get whatever coach we wanted. But no, this guy's actually fielding offers from everywhere else. So they wanted to lock him up uh, before losing out. Imagine like they had to, you know, get someone from the Euro League or something. Bring David Blatt back, for example. Who'd probably be a phenomenal coach. Yeah, but he would have gotten fired midway through the season when... Pandemic. <laughs> yeah. pandemic. The pandemic's still going on. Pandemic P is still hitting the side of the backboard, you know? I, Ty Lue was the, was the first uh, hiring option for the Lakers last year. Um, uh, last year as well. Or, sorry. Yeah, yeah last year after... Um, what's his name? Uh, who's the coach for Sacramento? Luke Walton. Yeah, Luke Walton. After, after he got fired. But, they, but the Lakers wanted to... Do you remember when the Lakers said, hey, we want Jason Kidd as your lead assistant and then all these other guys? So they, they, they wanted to hire him, but they wanted to choose his 
lead assistance because in case something happened, that at least they have Jason Jason Kidd as their backup. Yeah. So I think Frank Vogel was a third option as a hire, but it still worked out for them. You know, again, when you win the championship, nothing, nothing else, else matters. Nothing, nothing else matters. Nothing, nothing at all. else matters. And yeah, nothing else matters. Brian Winor said it best: you do not have to apologize for anything you've done once you won a championship. Man, I was I, I he was on the Zach Lowe podcast, and he, he was such a big. LeBron Homer. It was actually disgusting to to listen Who, to him. Talk. Yeah, Brian well, Homer. I know he's I know he's a beat yeah, writer for you know. the Cavs from earlier on. Now he's working for ESPN, but yeah. he's still on that still on that D. Hey, don't bite don't bite the hand that feeds you. Oh, you know, sure, arguably sure. he wouldn't have a career without like he wouldn't be on national television in the states without LeBron James. Yeah, so, for sure, for know. sure. But it was it was just like I I, could, I couldn't actually listen to it because he was just on him so hard. It was yeah. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to bring up with you know winning solves everything, losing makes it worse. The reports coming out now from the the Clippers locker room that Harrell, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly weren't happy with the preferential treatment Kawhi was getting. And that kind of shocked me because they were the same people. Like Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly were walking through a casino last summer when he announced that he was that he chose the Lakers and they start live streaming themselves, being like, Oh, it's over now. Like what do you guys think? You know, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be that happy that he's coming to your yeah. team. Like, did they not know that he got preferential treatment with the with the Raptors? Like, that's I th- I think that's table stakes for whatever team he joined. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I just think that no matter what, and this this is all speculation and all prediction. I think the the Clippers are just they need that vocal leader on their team. I feel like until they have that, it's not going to be in the form of their superstars because that's not Kawhi's personality and that's not Paul George's personality. And it's not Ty Lue's personality. So they're still sort of where they left off. Because unless they have a different roster composition of guys that, you know, they just mesh or gel or get along differently, with this team as it stands with Ty Lue as the head coach, the void has not been filled. But I think they also are, they're also going to have a full regular season or partial regular season of quite continues to set out to, to gel. And I think that was, again, their... Uh, their biggest pain point as a team because they put all these guys together, but then Kawhi sat out for a quarter of the season, and then well, that's going to happen regardless. That's the way Kawhi operates. Yeah, sure, but they have another full season to get things going, at least to figure out the roster. And I think they still have a really good team. I think. And again, just w- that one game. I know it's if if, if they win one game in the Denver Nuggets series. A lot of the narrative changes. Yeah, you know, it's just one game, and I I understand that it didn't happen, and uh, Denver eventually won, but one game can change the narrative quite a bit, and I think that could also lead into our later discussions with the Houston Rockets and recent moves uh, within their franchise as well. Yeah, absolutely, and we can actually segue um, to that topic because so much of the 2010s, the 2010s were actually like a renaissance in basketball where it was the death of the big man and teams went small. The San Antonio sort of trail San Antonio sort of trailblazed this movement against Miami Heat where they were spacing everyone out. Mm-hmm. Threes on threes on threes. The Golden State Warriors took over for three or four years. And the godfather of all this, the the small ball um, guru, David Mor- or Daryl Morey, um, emerged as um, yeah, the godfather of small ball, the godfather of analytics and really spearheaded this this new trend that we experienced over the last six or seven years. Um, took over the Houston Rockets when they were Trace McGrady and Yao Ming and exited the Houston Rockets without a center. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on his recent step down? Um, yeah, I would totally agree with uh, what you said. Like, they... He really changed the way people look at basketball in terms of analytics, um, you know, kind of taking uh, away from any mid-range shots. We're either shooting layups, free throws, or three-pointers because that's the be- that's the way we're going to score the most points. That's the way we're going to theoretically win. He was very active. I think he had, the during his tenure there since uh, 08, the second most trades in the NBA, only behind the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I think they were revolutionary in the way they looked at the game and the way they built their teams. And if you think about it, they're like one made three-pointer, like to Tuan's point about the Clippers having a, uh, they were one win away. This is even a more extreme example. In that game seven against the, the Warriors, I can't remember when it was, but they went ice cold from three, like their bread and butter, and they just needed one three 
to win that game, win that series, and go to the NBA Finals. Yeah. So it, the story could be a lot different for them as well, but that's a whole bunch of what-ifs. Um, yeah, I mean, they had, uh, now that you, when you reflect on the Houston Rockets season, it was always Game 7s that let them down. I can think of three where they discombobulated and nothing was the same. So it's, it's funny how a game can change everything, but ironically, it just always happened to be that Game 7 where James Harden can figure it out. But what I like about Daryl Morey's story, because I had recency bias with him, and I was kind of like, ah, you know, he's all small ball. You know, I don't like that that um, quantitative analytic approach to basketball. Um, I think basketball is very qualitative and things outside of statistics actually matter more, um, like chemistry. And um, But you, you don't realize that this guy, this guy brought in Dwight Howard. You know, this guy traded for Dwight Howard and landed him and paired him with, with, um, with James Harden. Yeah. So he was actually, it was actually over time that he developed this extreme approach to basketball, but he wasn't always like that. No, he wasn't. And he, that year that Dwight Howard signed with him, he was in his prime. He was coveted by by all teams at that at that point because I believe he was <coughs> a free agent. Then he signed with Houston. But Daryl Morey gets a lot of slack for what for what happened um, this season and the year before. But again, the whole story could be written if they don't miss those twenty three straight threes. Um, in, in, the, in Game 7, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, right, they're up 3-2. Yep. Chris Paul pulls his hamstring and misses those two games, and they're in prime position to, to win. They have one game at home to, to seal it, and they aren't able to because, again, they miss those threes and Chris Paul is out. And then the next season, KD's out for, the, for, for, uh, for that series, and they should have won that series, but they didn't. So they had two great opportunities to... Um, to at least get to the finals. If they get to the finals, they're heavy favorites against the, that Cavs, Cavs team that the uh, Warriors eventually sweep. So I think if they do win that game, game six, game seven, then they, they should have been uh, champions. So that whole story could have been rewritten, and we could be looking at James Harden as a totally different player, uh, Mike D'Antoni as a different coach, and Daryl Morey as a different GM. And look at them now, like two, three years removed from that small window of a championship. But their team is in turmoil now. They don't have a they don't have a GM. They don't have a coach. Their their, yeah. their team structure is terrible because they have they they traded for Westbrook. And I know Daryl Morey wasn't um, the one that uh, had the final vote on that Westbrook trade. I think it was um, I, I heard somewhere that uh, Tillman Fertitta said that. Uh, Chris Paul's contract was the worst he's ever seen in any business or any league. So he told Daryl Morey to yeah. shut up and listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to have yeah. to tell him to shut up and listen yeah. now because his team is. Because, again, that move, that move changes everything because then they, they have to move Clint Capella to accommodate for Westbrook's type of play. Like, you know, this guy can't make a jump shot outside of the three point, or outside of the three point line. So they have to remove everyone in the paint to accommodate to this guy. And now they traded two. Two first round picks, two swaps, so they have no no like assets coming in and now they're just stuck with a small ball team and I'm not really sure how you go about configuring this team and changing it up because you have these two superstars that don't really play a great style of basketball in the playoffs. Um, especially with James Harden's ISO game and then Westbrook's just kind of selfish uh, demeanor on the floor. And yeah, I don't know what what what's in store for this franchise. They're kind of um, they're gonna have to reshape, retool, do something to to get it back going. But again, same thing with Miami though. Two three years ago, Miami was in a really weird situation where they were just one or two moves away from being where they are now. So if whoever the new GM is, whoever the new coach is, is able to adapt and make you know slight changes that can even heighten James Harden or heighten Westbrook's play. And change it up a little bit. I think they could. They still. They, they still can be a good team. But I'm not sure if they're a championship caliber team anymore. Yeah, I don't know if organizationally the Houston Rockets have the backbone that the Heat have with ownership, Pat Riley, things like that to turn this thing around. Uh, boy, they're in trouble. Like when I, the two pillars of their last five year philosophy are no longer yeah. in in their organization. I would say that D'Antoni was the second most valuable player 
on the Houston Rockets. James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, Russell Westbrook, because he orchestrated that entire offense. And like you said, so much of what I've read was that um, Tillman Fertitta was very much so behind the, the departure of Chris Paul. Take that even further. Supposedly, according to very reliable sources that I listen to, uh, <laughs> Zach, Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe, whatever, Bill Simmons, Tillman Fertitta's son was actually very much instrumental in that trade for Chris Paul. How old is his son? Um, like 12? Who knows? But anyways, <laughs> it's, yeah, because I guess like... Dad, dad, I don't <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> but what it did, it's, it's so sad because I actually feel bad for Daryl Morey because what it did is he had to double down on his philosophy because bringing in Russell or bringing in Russell Westbrook, you had to eliminate um, Clint Capella because these guys were bumping into each other left, right, and center all game. The minute you got rid of Clint Capella, sure, Russell Westbrook was more efficient. He had that January run that everyone talks about. But the holes in their game were um, definitely apparent when they played the Los Angeles Lakers, and and they were getting eaten up in the paint. It's funny how the pendulum shifts in the NBA because we just talked about a lot of the 2010s being about small ball. And now the Lakers have demonstrated that they have bigs that can also play small. So now if you're a team, it's now about getting big men that that can guard Anthony Davis in the Western Conference. It's now about big men again. And I feel like the pendulum starting to shift. We're not going to go back to big men posting up, but people want Dwight Howard now because they need they need uh, you know a an athletic stretch-ish center mm-hmm. that can that can guard some of these guys. So um, it's funny how the pendulum shifts in yeah. the NBA and trends get started. It's uh, the one thing I, yeah, Tuan mentioned uh, deep game. I wanted to bring up uh, EGT. So again, shout out to Coach Taylor Allen and his uh, EGT program. It's being retired uh, this coming Thursday, I believe. But if you look at it, the, the rise of everyone having guard skills was right in line with when EGT was started. Elite guard training, like every, no matter, and, and I think that's what, what won't change. I agree with you, the pendulum is swinging, but what won't change is that everyone, every player in the NBA from one to five has to have guard skills. You gotta be able to handle the ball at some point, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I do agree with you that there is a shift coming back, like you need athletic centers. You need guys that are big, like shot blocking, defending, team defense type of things being able to shift momentum because that's what like Giannis is now. Like Giannis was a defensive player of the year and he's he's just a freak athlete. Like he can handle the ball very well, mm-hmm. but he also protects the paint. Yeah. And it happened so fast. Like I, I feel like it was overnight where like it was all about three point shooting and having as many players on your on your uh, starting five that can shoot threes. And honestly after this Laker win, like the, the headlines start coming out like Dwight Howard's gonna get paid now, either by the Lakers or another team, maybe the Golden State Warriors that need someone <laughs> like him. Don't get me wrong. Dwight Howard is the uh, NBA equivalent of Randall from Disney's Recess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the guy, but yeah. a lot of he's gonna get this worked in his favor, you yeah. know. And it's gonna be funny to see what happens. That's gonna be funny to watch guys like um, Utah center Gobert, yeah. uh, Clint Capella, Serge mm-hmm. Ibaka. Now Serge Ibaka is gonna get. Hounded by teams. Yeah, yeah. he deserves um, it, for sure. And it's going to be funny over the next six, eight months, who knows how long this offseason is going to be, about how covet, how um, uh, valuable these centers become. I think that whole topic can be summarized by what David West recently said about <laughs> the Chris Bosh and Bargnani being unguardable, and if they had played in this this era, that they would be unstoppable. Uh, but again, it's just having guys like Siakam, like... AD, having Giannis, having Bam Adebayo, these these big guys that aren't as tall, as aren't as strong, but they can bring the ball to the floor. They can we play make. Them. They can play make. They can shoot the three. Yep. They can attack the basket. So it's just all these all these freaks, all these unicorns, I would say, like Christoph Rzingis, those type of players who can stretch the floor but also protect the paint. And they're just lengthy, long dudes, and they're just... just athletic monsters now that are coming into the league and it's uh, what's what's gonna happen in these next few years when guys who are that tall that lengthy start uh, playing more basketball and like all the stuff happening in Giants of Africa and other parts of other parts of the world where 
basketball is much more popular now. The, the game, the exposure to the game is definitely there. And you can get better even without having a lot of money now. Like, you can just go online and you can find ways to get better. So all these kids who, you know, are growing up to be 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", they can just go online and find ways to become a really good guard. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing the guys like Michael Porter Jr., like, he's, he's a beast. He's a monster. He's a 6'11", just crazy wingspan, super athletic. And those guys are going to keep popping up in the league. And GMs are going to look everywhere in the world to pick these guys out from Africa, from Europe, from Asia, from wherever, right? And they're, they're going to just develop these guys into monsters. And when they, in let's say 5, 10 years, it's just going to be a bunch of 6'9 dudes that are going to be on the floor that can run, jump, pass, shoot. Yeah. And the game is going to be crazy athletic, crazy. You need to be so skilled to be to be on the floor at, at any point during the yeah. next few years. It's yeah. the age of information. Like if you're good enough, they will find you. No matter oh, where you are in the yeah. world, like they will find you. Absolutely. It's no longer about going to that school. It's no longer about playing in that prep school. Yeah. Uh, it's it's all about getting good. All you need to do is don't get seen, get good. That's what it's about, and people will find, find you. you for sure. um, but it's funny because that trend was happening, and I feel like it's just accelerated now that Anthony Davis and LeBron James have paired up because. If you're the Boston Celtics, you're not beating the Los Angeles Lakers without without someone that can, you know, guard Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of teams that don't have Golden State Warriors. They don't have that that piece. So it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be very interesting to see what these teams lacking that void uh, do and what length they, what lengths they go to to get those players. Also, it's got to be a really slow news week if a report about David West talking about <laughs> the Toronto Raptors with Chris Bosh yeah. and Arjuna Bergnani is getting, like, airwave time. Ooh, yeah. let's... All week, I was just deep in first take. Okay. Deep, <laughs> deep in uh, part of whatever, the undisputed, just LeBron, uh, Jordan, yeah. that whole... Uh, it was all... That's all it was on no YouTube thanks, this week. No it was thanks. just the legacy. Anyone have anything to say about that comparison? Does this change uh, how you view either player... Um, I, th- I think it does change a little bit for LeBron now, having his fourth title. What this is his tenth, tenth final. So he's four, 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 and, four and six in the in the finals now. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if he has another like three, four solid years, like he was runner-up MVP, Finals MVP. So he's still playing extremely well after his prime. Like I don't think he's in his prime anymore, but he's still. The second, the best player in the world um, yep. at this age, and let's say he plays at eighty nine percent for three, four more years, maybe wins one more championship, gets to maybe two more finals, and then his resume is just um, incredible. I, I know Jordan's six for six, but LeBron's just career wise, um, it's just it's gonna be a really strong case for him in three, four years because Jordan probably had the best peak of any player, but. LeBron's resume is just out of this world if he's able to get one more championship or even get one more finals. Yeah. And he's going to have all the playoff scoring records, rebounding records, assist records. He's going to be top three for probably all those categories. Most games played, um, whatever regular season accolades he's going to continue to build on to his, what, 17 years uh, career. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, he has a chance. I think he has a chance to cement himself or even just be neck-to-neck with Jordan. Um, and I know there's recency bias with Last Dance and everything, mm-hmm. but now again he he won another championship um, with with a really three with three different teams now. Yeah, and I think that says a lot about his career as well. Yeah, I think there's definitely, especially at this point, there's a conversation to be had, yeah. and he's in the conversation. Um, you can't argue with those numbers, that longevity. Mm-hmm. He's been great for so long yeah. with the the pressure of expectations like this guy was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high school student he came in the league with a 90 million dollar Nike contract before he had played a game he's lived up to all of his expectations you could argue he's exceeded them there is a conversation to be had the only argument would be comparing errors which I don't agree with um, and that makes it harder but I don't disagree with anything that you just said and I could completely see him once his career is over when it's all said and done him being the greatest of all time the one thing that just bugs me is uh, is when he just says, like, I want my damn respect. I feel like you already have it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You already mm-hmm. have our respect. Absolutely. And that that's so funny you say that because Stephen A. Smith, 
nailed it, in my opinion, when he said, your damn respect. He's like, I have you number two all time on the Mount Rushmore, number two. How is that not respecting you? Yeah. You know, and for me personally, like, I don't care if you think LeBron's the best player. Um, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I didn't even, LeBron's the player that I watched growing up. I wasn't old enough to really take in Michael Jordan. But I think there's value in the brevity, brevity of Michael Jordan's career. I think there's value in the fact that he stuck it out with one team and won six in a row. I, was always, I had LeBron jerseys growing up. I was a fan of his. And just my personal opinion and my personal take is that, and the, again, go back to Bill Simmons, the best way I can summarize what he does is he picks his house and chooses all the furniture. You know, like this guy went, has played with three different teams. That's impressive. But you got to realize that he's also like jump shipped, jumped, jumped ship to play with other superstars. And he sort of created this trend in the NBA, and I, I feel like it's a millennial approach that I don't really like about when the going gets tough, find another team. When the going gets tough with your coach, shoot out sublimative, sublimatives on Twitter to get him fired. Um, he's responsible for a lot of these things. And I don't know, that's, that's the only thing. It's, that, it's, it's the uh, effect that he's created around the NBA that I don't really respect. And I think that that's why I'll always value Michael Jordan's career a little more than his. Michael Jordan played with a GM that he despised. What do you do? You just made fun of him and won championships. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. That's, that's just sort of where I take it. Again, statistics will always show that due to the longevity of his career, he's ranked this, this, and this. But I take a quantitative approach or qualitative approach with how I view Michael Jordan's career. Yeah, but Michael Jordan also played with Scottie Pippen. It was coached by... <clears throat> Phil Jackson, he didn't really have a reason to leave, but also player empowerment wasn't as um, wasn't as big back then as well. You know, players didn't have as much leverage. A lot of teams can you know trade you right away, trade you off, trade you to any team you want, and you, you'll be stuck with that team, right? So yeah, absolutely. Like Michael Jordan didn't have the luxury of tweeting, "Pay this man," like LeBron did to Tristan Thompson when Pippen was going through uh, contract <laughs> dilemmas, right? So, yeah, for sure. Like, different era, of course. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot is to be said about the road that Michael Jordan took versus the road that LeBron took. And you got to remember they're different players, right? Like, Michael Jordan would have just killed you, like, one-on-one, whereas LeBron is going to take a more cerebral approach. And gets to get burned a lot to the stake for passing right? to Danny, Danny Green, Green, which exactly. was the right play. Yeah, oh, he made the right play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not my fault Danny Green can't make a shot. Yeah. Like, how many more? but yeah um no there's always a conversation to be had you're never gonna be 100 percent one way or the other because there's good arguments on both sides i agree with everything you just said Mm -hmm. about michael jordan too like i don't know yeah no it's just funny like the give me my respect man the fact we're having this conversation in a doctor's office on a retail storefront (laughs) on a saturday morning is I'd say that's pretty respectful. And that's what I've, I've tried to teach myself. Like, I have to disconnect um, LeBron, the person, from the basketball player. Because yeah. the person has done a lot of things that have turned me off throughout his career. But I can't argue with what the basketball player has produced and created on the court. Absolutely. So, I mean, where does the NBA go from here? No, no start date in sight. The, the pandemic in the United States doesn't look like it's clearing up. Um, obviously, Adam Silver has made it known that their intention is to have butts and seats for the for the next season. And it doesn't look like there's a, a start date in sight, nor does it look like there's a vaccination or anything in sight. So what do you, if you could ballpark a time when you think you'll be watching basketball again, what would you say? I think it's after Christmas. I think that's the, the initial timeline that they have right now to resume everything probably after the new year. Uh, I'm not sure if they plan to shorten the season at all and how that's going to work out logistically, but um, I hope they start playing um, in arenas, probably not with fans, but at least they uh, don't have to be like stuck in a bubble. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case uh, for next year, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll figure something out because they've already done a good job of, uh, of, the, of taking the worst case scenario and being able to figure that out logistically. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't have any insider information, mm-hmm. obviously, but my expectation or hope is that sometime in January they start, they start the season and whatever it is, if it's a shortened season, but I think they'll be, you know, doing the same old travel stuff and like where do team, teams go from here right now? 
They start trying to generate revenue from other streams, like the Raptors creating three new uh, jerseys <laughs> this week, right? Like, you know, because we're, we're probably not going to have that ticket revenue right away. Um, I feel like we just got new jerseys like two years ago, but hey, we just got to keep coming up with ideas. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think revenue is a huge topic that we're going to be hearing about over the next month because uh, the NBA is actually pushing back the deadline to renegotiate their collective bar bargaining agreement. And one of the ideas that they want to do is increase the amount of escrow that, uh, that they hold from players, which uh, players don't realize now, but is going to take a immediate hit to their salaries. And I'm not good with the numbers and stuff like that, but um, if you want a... Um, if you want a good listen for what that looks like numerically, then uh, the Hoop Collective, they just did a good podcast with Tim McMahon about what that actually looks like for players. And when you realize, you know, state taxes, escrow, all those things factored in paying your agent, players are going to be, um, I don't, they're going to be pretty disgruntled with what their paychecks look like if the NBA decides that they need to increase escrow to protect their, yeah. protect their revenue. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Another thing too is, I read an article that we might even see more patches on on jerseys because um, the uh, it's now a buyer's market and not a seller's market. Where before NBA had this product and could guarantee this many viewers to see your logo, but now they can't really do that with certainty. Yeah. But they need the revenue, right? So you might see um, you know a lot of companies getting in on the cheap. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me one bit. I think it was only a matter of time. Because if you think about it, the, rap, uh, the, the NBA for the longest time never had any kind of sponsorship. If I compare yeah. that to um, Premier League, uh, like top flight division uh, football or soccer across the world, the team's crest gets the smallest piece of uh, coverage mm -hmm. on, the, yeah. on the jersey and, and the, the, the top primary sponsor gets the bulk of the, the front of the jersey. Yeah. So it's only a matter of time. And WNBA has been doing that for the longest time because they need the money, right? But if you think about it, like Seattle Storm just won the WNBA championship. The front of their jersey says like Swedish yeah, or something like that, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to really yeah, right. know the Seattle Storm logo to realize what it is, what the crest is on the side of their jerseys. Yeah, you're right. And kind of going back to the Daryl Morey thing where he tweeted uh, free Hong, like freedom for Hong Kong, like uh, that... Right off the bat, at the beginning of the season, the Chinese viewership was down. And now with everything that we mentioned before, how uh, there was the lowest NBA final viewership and how it's struggling to capture fans and actually get them to watch a game. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Asia and with the bigger, bigger markets uh, that are actually interested in watching the games. If you think about it, in three years, uh, at the rate that China's been growing, in three years... Uh, the Chinese middle class will consist of 550 million people. That's 1.5 times the current population of the U.S. Sheesh. So mm. taken the the hit that that's taken yeah. uh, from them not even televising the games there this year. And the fact that the government was able to just pull the plug immediately on on the NBA, yeah. it just says a lot about how powerful yeah. they are and how much they control. Um, Entertainment amongst yeah. the population. But I'm sure you guys are fans of your Chinese uh, listeners, so uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I wanted to bring up about those uh, those jerseys, I just want to get your your thoughts on the new Raptors jerseys. I have my own thoughts to share, but what do you guys think? It got my heartbeat going. It gave me expansion vibes, <laughs> and like I said, it. I mean, I swear, it immediately. I thought of Jamari Moon, um, Anthony Parker, and Andrea Bargnani. I feel like it's the segue for. If we don't re-sign Masai Ujiri and Fred Van Fleet, it's, it's the segue to a painful five years. I, honestly, when I saw those, I'm like, are those just like new alternative jerseys? Because, again, I, th I think we just released new jerseys, like the, uh, the ones that Dan mentioned. And I thought they were just different versions of an alternative jersey with like new Chevron. I know we had the white and red ones. Yeah. Which were the best jerseys. Yeah, the ones that we won the finals in. Yeah. And then I thought these were just replacing those, so they'll have like special ones for like special occasions. But they're gonna be like our new permanent yeah. home away and alternative jerseys, which I'm kind of blown away at. But like, I'm I'm whatever. I'm I'm neutral on them. Like I'm sure they'll grow um, yeah grow, grow on me. Like like how the old jerseys were like the the Wheeling North type jerseys. Um, I didn't like them at first, but 
eventually grew to love them, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'll grow on me. So my initial thoughts were, why? Complete trash. Why are we doing this again? So three times. Um, But upon further review, I'm a big fan of the white one, the white and red, um, and the alternate black one, the one that's all black. Um, with the pinstripes from yeah. the original like Raptors Dinos jerseys, black on black, and with the Jordan logo. So side note, all of the NBA um, al- al- alternate jerseys across all teams are going to have the Jordan logo moving on. So I think that's what really attracts me to it. I'm not a huge fan of the red one. I don't like the design of having red with the black chevron and the red writing. Just not a good look for me. It looks like something you would pull off the rack at Marshalls, no offense. Um, but like, but but that alternate jersey, I might even look to buying that one, partly because it's Jordan brand. Yeah. Like Jordan brand could make home appliances, and I would change my entire kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think the value of that brand is just fantastic. So, mm-hmm. um, upon further review, it's not as terrible as I initially thought. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating a bit. I I just thought we had a really good thing. You know, we had the Heritage Games where we wore the Dino jerseys, changed the entire court. Beautiful. Um, Christmas party. I got that black jersey yeah. with the gold writing. Yeah. Where? What happened to that? Is that just gone? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like, know. I don't know, man. I thought they had a great thing going. The, sh- the North Chevron jerseys are the toughest. Are the toughest jerseys that I think like out of any team. Those are and they were worn in the finals and yeah. never seen again. Yeah. I just don't know who's behind these big decisions because I thought we had a great thing going in terms of jerseys. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all right. I'm not. I'm not too worried. It is what it is. I understand. They they need their money. They need your money. But like you said, I'll probably just wait to get mine at National Sports in in four or five years <laughs> when they change it again. When they change it again, <laughs> like every Apple product. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get going. Yeah, you can buy your. Uh your phone jack and uh, charger at the same time. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap that up. It was really good connecting with you this morning. And wow, you know, the the finals were finished. We talked about the championship, but there's so much more to talk about. Just says a lot about the NBA offseason and how exciting it is. So um, hopefully we can get together for another podcast shortly and have a handful of things to discuss again. Yeah, thanks, Dave, for joining us this early morning. Always a great contributor to the conversation. And brought great insights so thanks for uh, coming through thank you guys once again for having me it's a lot of fun for everyone listening in we appreciate you tuning in and uh, we'll be in touch have a great weekend peace